Genesis chapter 12, and I'm going to begin reading in uh, verse 10. The Bible says, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Good thing to say to your wives, guys. Uh, And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister. Bad thing to say to your wife, guys. Uh, then it may go well with you, uh, then it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham, and he had sheep and oxygen, ox, <laughs> oxen, uh, he had oxygen too, oxen, uh, Male donkeys, female servants, uh, male servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, Why, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? And why did you say she is my sister, that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Father, thank you for uh, the opportunity that we, uh, we have today to open up your Bible, God, to see the truths of Scripture. Uh, Father, thank you that uh, the Bible is such an accurate representation of, of what it means to live the life of faith. Uh, Father, we, we don't always get it right. Um, we have times of unbelief in our lives, times where we, we mess up, times where we, uh, we do dumb things. And Father, I thank you that you're a God of grace and that you're a God... Uh, who, who is empowering and working in us to build up our faith, Lord, so that we become more and more like Christ. I, th- I thank you for that process, Lord, and, and I pray that you'd make it happen more and more in us. God, build up our faith. Reveal our sin to us. God, show us where, where we're unbelieving. And God, help us to be people who trust you. Help us to be people of faith. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week we're introduced to Abraham. Uh, again, from last week we talked about one of the most important men in the Bible. Uh, God, by His grace, chooses Abraham to make some incredible promises to. He makes a covenant with Abraham. That's, that's kind of the biblical word for promise. Uh, a covenant is where God commits Himself to act in a certain way toward uh, His people. Okay, so, so God reveals Himself to Abraham. Abraham's just this pagan guy living up in, in Babylon in a place called Ur. God reveals Himself to Abraham, says, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do for you. He makes these incredible promises. Promises to Abraham in verse uh, one of chapter twelve. He, he says, I, "I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this land." Verse two, he says, "I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and make your name great, so that you'll be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you, and on him who dishonors you, I'm going to curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed." That that reference right there is a reference to the gospel that through Abraham would come the Messiah. Abraham didn't know when that would happen, but he but he knew it would happen. Got a promise that that through him, the, this messianic figure would come, that all the nations would be blessed through his family, that God would make a great nation of him. Um, and Abraham basically believes God. That, that's his claim to fame. That's, that's what he did right is Abraham says, okay, I believe. God, you made these incredible promises to me. Uh, you told me you're going to do this for me. You're going to do this for me. You're going you're gonna to be this in my life. And God, I believe you. And that's, that's what Abraham does that, that makes him such a great man of God. In, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Just as Abraham, okay, this is kind of a lesson for us, just 
as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In Galatians, Paul is, is talking to us about, about, about salvation by grace through faith and how what we need to do is trust God. What we need to do is trust what God has done for us and what he will do for us and trust what, what the word of God says about him. And then in verse 7 of Galatians 3, it says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And so, so everybody who, who's of faith is, in some sense is a, is a son of Abraham, is, is in this line of, of people of faith. And so Abraham is the first of those who, who, who responds to the promises of God saying, yes, God, you know, I, I believe that, that, that you said this, that you will do this, and, and I'm trusting you. And so Abraham believes God, and whenever anybody believes God, whenever anybody has faith, it changes their life, right? We talked about that last week. It transforms who you are. When you, when you trust that God is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do, that, that moves and transforms your life. It, it doesn't everybody, and it didn't Abraham. For Abraham, what it meant was leaving his family and leaving his country and leaving his people, and he heads for the promised land. He takes his wife, he takes his nephew, he takes his, 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 his cattle and, and sheep, and, and he goes off for this land that he's never been to, that he's never seen before. He is beginning to live by faith, okay? So he believes God. Anytime you believe God, there's got to be visible evidence in your life. You know, don't be one of those people that says, oh yeah, I trust God. You know, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe he died on the cross. But yet there's no visible evidence of that in your life. That just doesn't mesh. If you trust God, it's going to move your life in a certain direction. In a certain direction. And so Abraham trusts God and it moves his life in a certain direction. He, he begins to go to the promised land. He positions himself to receive the, these promises that, that God has made for him. So he's beginning his walk of faith. Okay? Now, so Abraham's beginning his walk of faith. He's trusted God. He's got a relationship with God now. God's spoken to him. He said, Yes, Lord, I believe. And so now it's all easy, right? Right? Isn't that the way it works? You know, once you begin your walk of faith, once you begin trusting God, once you begin, you know, your life is a Christian is the way we would describe it. After that, it's all easy street, right? It's all downhill, nothing bad. It just gets better and better. Is that, is that right? Are, are you with me here? No. Look at the next verse. This, this cracks me up. The, the next verse, all right? So, so Abraham's introduced to us in, in verse 1 of chapter 12. God makes these incredible promises. He says, yes, I believe. He starts going to the promised land. And in verse 10, it says, now there was a famine in the land. All right? So he gets there. He gets to this land. He responds in faith. And, and as he gets there, what does he find? You know, he finds people dying, you know, he finds there, there's no food there, there, there. There's a drought. Nothing's growing. You, you can't survive. So, so he obeys God and he believes God and he takes off. He responds in faith. And, and all of a sudden he's in this horrible situation of being a land where there's a famine. Okay. Now, now I don't know what you, about you, but I'm asking, okay, why God did it work that way? You know, why does it work that way? Why when Abraham believes God and acts in obedience and positions himself to get the promises of God, immediately it gets hard. Now, why, why is that? You know, I mean, you would think it'd be the other way. You know, here, man, the God of the universe has appeared to me and promised he's going to do these things in my life. And, and so we would expect that now it's going to be easy, right? Now my life's going to be, be problem-free. Now everything's just going to straighten out. You know, the kids are going to stop burping at the table and, and my wife's going to, you know, be really nice. I mean, everything's just going to be great, you know, no problems at all, right? That, that's not at all the, the, the case in the Bible or especially with the life of Abraham. 
You know, ask yourself this, why, why isn't it just easy all of a sudden, you know? And, and the reason is, is that God never promises ease. Have you noticed that? I mean, God promises a lot of incredible things here. But if you look back in, in the promises that he gives to Abraham, he promises he'll make him a great nation. He'll give him the promised land. He'll make his name great. He, he'll be, make him a blessing to everybody that, that's around him. He, he's going to, through him and through his family, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. But in nowhere in that passage does he say, look, Abraham, your problems are over. Your difficult circumstances are gone. God never promises ease. And as we look through the rest of our Bible, as we go into the New Testament, we look at the life of Jesus and the apostles and, and, and the church planning effort that goes around the world, we see tons of promises to you and I. Not just to Abraham, but to you and I. Promises about protection and promises about security and promises about money. And promises about heaven and about relationships and about parenting and about reward and about fears and about strength and about anxiety and about wisdom. But I can't think of one time in the Bible where Jesus promises, hey, this is going to be a piece of cake, all right? You're not going to have any more problems. There's not going to be any more struggles. Nobody's going to oppose you, okay? I can't think of anywhere where it promises that. The closest thing I can think of is, is I can't remember where it's at, but uh, Jesus, when uh, at some point in the Gospels, he says, uh, take my yoke upon you for my my burden is light, something like that. I mean, that's the only thing I can even think of that's close. But what he's talking about there is, hey, you know what? Having me is not a hard thing. You know, that, that's what he's talking about there. Having me in your life is not a burden. Is Jesus a burden? He's not a burden, man. He's a blessing. He's everything that we need. And so that's what that verse is talking about. That's the only one I can think of even remotely close. But I can think of a whole lot of them that tell us the truth about what life's going to be like. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, that's where we live right now, your job and, and, and your, your relationships and your family and, and, and just the world system. In the world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise, isn't it? But take heart, I have overcome the world. Another even scarier one is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, where it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, uh, in, the, in, in an opposite way, Jesus doesn't promise ease. He says, look, things are going to be hard, okay? But what he does promise is to be with us in the pain, to be with us in the struggle, to empower us, to, 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 to be able to work through the difficulties of life in a way that God redeems all those things for his good. You know, most of the promises in the Bible assume pain. Most of the promises in the Bible assume problems. They, uh, they assume obstacles. They, they, they're promises that God gives us to help us get through those things, to help us make those things a success in our lives. I mean, consider some of the promises that probably, probably everybody would think, man, these are the best ones in the Bible. Romans 8, 28. You know, Romans 8, 28 says God works all things together for good. We talked about it last week. Uh, for those who are called according to his purpose. God works all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, what's that a promise about? That's a promise about the difficult things of life that we can just grab onto God and say, okay, God, you put this difficult thing in my life, or maybe you didn't put it there, maybe I put it there, or maybe somebody else put it there. But, but God, I know that if I trust you and I follow you, that you're going to work that situation out for good. Okay, see, it assumes a problem. I mean, nobody ever quotes that verse in a, in a really happy time, do they? You know, you ever go to the hospital and somebody had a healthy baby and it's just beautiful. And, and you walk in, you hold the baby and you say, hey guys, you know, God works all things together for good. Those who love him, you know, who call it, it's okay. You know, nobody says that in those times. You, you say that when what? There's a hard thing, right? I mean, that promise is assuming a hard thing in your life. If you look at Matthew six thirty three, another famous promise. Seek first the kingdom of God. 
And all these things will be, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Okay? You know what the context of that verse is? If you look back in the context of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus starts talking about anxiety, and about worry, and about struggle, and about people not having enough food, not having enough, no, uh, their job's not working out, and their finances not working out. And, and, and at the end of that, Jesus says, look, seek me first. Here's my promise to you. You seek me first, and I'll take care of all these hard things in your life. How about Philippians 4.13? Let me read that one to you. That's a great promise. Uh, from the or to the or from from the words of the apostle Paul, Philippians four thirteen he says, uh, "Whoops, I meant to say four nineteen. Well, four thirteen is good too. It says I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Uh, amen. But verse nineteen is the one I meant to read. It says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great promise? God's going to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Oh, but if you go to the context of that verse, let me read you verse 14, the, the paragraph, the, the starting of that paragraph. Here's what Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Okay? I mean, the passage is about his trouble. It's about his struggles, about his lack. Okay? And so what we find is that the promises of God, instead of promising us a life of ease, they assume a life of struggle. They assume a life of difficulty. They assume a life where people aren't going to get along and there's going to be conflict and there's going to be problems and, and things are going to break down and, and life's going to be tough and people are going to get sick. But God says, look, here, I'm going to empower and strengthen and be with you and I give you my word that I'm going to work these things out in this way and these are the things I'm going to do for you. That, that's the promises of God. So, God makes these incredible promises to Abraham, okay? One of them is not ease. And so when he gets to, to the promised land, he's being obedient. He's, he's being a man of faith. There's a big famine. What's he do? Well, first of all, he is afraid, okay? He's afraid. And this is the kind of fear that you obsess about the what-ifs, okay? Uh, he's not really afraid of the famine. He, he must have been somewhat because he, he left Canaan and he goes to Egypt. But what he's really scared about is what's going to happen when he gets to Egypt. If you notice in verse 11, he's not even to Egypt yet. And he's already running these scenarios through his mind. And he's, he's concocted this scheme to, to, to get out of this, this fearful thing that he's afraid is going to happen. You, you ever do that? You, 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 ever, you ever have something in your life and you're looking ahead and you're, you know, it hadn't even happened yet, but you're just afraid it's going to happen, you know? You don't have any evidence it's going to happen, but it might happen. And, and so you obsess and you work yourself into a tizzy and instead of trusting God, says, well, you know what? God led me here. I'm following God. I'm in his path. I'm just going to trust him. I'm just going to follow him. I'm just going to be obedient. Instead of doing that, you obsess and obsess and obsess and you work out these little schemes in your mind about how you're going to, how you're going to work this out. And sometimes those schemes are not very righteous, okay? And sometimes they involve compromising your integrity. And that's exactly what happens here. He, 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 avoid, he, he has this avoid disaster plan in him. And, and basically it involves telling Pharaoh, telling the Egyptians, telling everybody he meets in this new country that, that Sarah is not his wife, but is his sister. Okay, And we're going to talk a little bit about the, the half-truth of that here in just a minute. But what's he afraid of? Well, he's afraid that they're going to kill him. Okay, verse 12 says, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is my wife. Then they'll kill me, but they will let you live. Notice he's not worried about her. Isn't that, isn't that kind of funny? Uh, I'm sure he is a little bit, but it just sounds really selfish. Yeah, you, you ever find yourself in those things where when you speak him out loud? Well, that's really selfish, isn't it? You know, I mean, he's afraid he's going to get killed. He's afraid they're going to see his wife. His wife's a beautiful woman. Uh, and, and they're going to they're want to take her. And so they're going to kill him. I mean, that, that's what he's afraid of. Now, some of you are asking, hold on, pastor. Last week, you told us, and the scripture tells us, that Sarah is 65 at this time, you know? I mean, she's, she's barren, she's childless, she's 65 years old. Uh, okay, does that, I mean, is she really this model that the Egyptians are going to be like, wow, you know, we, we, you know? Well, 
I, I don't have the, all of the answer for that, but I do know this. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. Uh, Abraham lived to be 175. Remember the patriarchs? We're still in the time from, from, from when we started in Genesis, people lived a long, long time. And then after the flood, that went down. And then as, as time goes on, it goes down even further, okay? Kind of settles into what we have today. Uh, but at this time, 127 years, well, if, you're, if you live to be 127, then midlife would be what? 34? What is it? Well, no, no, midlife would be around 65, right? Uh, I, I was trying to think, okay, but today people live to be about 78, I think is an average lifespan. So midlife is around, you know, what, 34, 38, something like that, uh, which is the age of my wife. And she's very pretty. So do you see what I'm saying? Trying to, trying to help you put that into a context anyway. So Abraham fears for his own life. He's scared. But really, here's the thing. He's scared of the wrong thing, okay? Well, he ought to be fearful of disobeying God. You know, that's what the Bible tells us over and over again. You ought to be afraid of something, but your fear ought not be all these things that you've, you've got in your head that are going to happen, might happen. What if they happen? Your fear ought to be, man, I don't want to get out of the will of God. I don't want to compromise my integrity. I don't want to dis. That's what you ought to be afraid of. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. Listen, listen to a couple of verses here. It says, But the Lord of hosts, uh, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. In, I, in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, one of my favorite verses, it says, Fear not. It's talking about all the other things in life. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I mean, the Bible says over and over again, don't fear these other things in life. Don't fear all the what-ifs of life. What you need to fear is fear God. You know, I mean, have a fear of, of getting out of his will, of, of being, being disobedient to him, of being unbelieving. That ought to be the greatest fear in your life. And right now, it's not in Abraham's life. Abraham, he, he's more afraid of, of what might happen in Egypt and all these scenarios that he's, that he's built up in his mind than, than he is of, of disobeying God or getting out of the will of God or not, not following or obeying God. And so Abraham is struggling to believe, basically, the promises of God. I mean, his big fear is, I'm going to get killed. Okay, now what did God just promise him? God just promised him what? I'm going to make you a great nation. You know, through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you, you and your descendants the promised land. So God's just made these incredible promises that assume I'm going to take care of you. You know, uh, I've got things I'm going to do in your life. And yet Abraham's afraid his life's going to end, you know, right away. Okay? He's struggling to believe the promises of God. Now, let's talk about that for a second, because I think there's a great picture in, in, for our lives today. Okay? Is Abraham a man of faith? Yes. Okay? How do we know that? Because he believes the promises of God. He takes off with his life. He's following God. Okay? There's visible evidence in his life that he believes God's promises. Is Abraham, is Abraham spotless in this? No. Is he perfect at it? No. Does he have perfect faith every day in every situation? No. Does that look anything like you? Probably, huh? Many of you in here would say, you know what, when I was 30 years old, when I was 25 years old, when I was 18 years old, when I was 16 years old, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I heard the gospel. I believed it. Something stirred inside my heart. I said, yes, Lord. Man, I believe what you did for me. I believe that you are who you say you are and you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And, and I am responding in faith to you. I'm giving my life to you. And you were born again. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of you and you were joined to Jesus Christ. You were baptized as an evidence of what God had done in your life. Okay? But have you hit a home run 
every day since then? You know, are, are there situations in your life that you find yourself being somewhat unbelieving? Okay, what, what I'm telling you here is, I, I think this is a great picture in the Bible here in, in verses one through nine. Abraham's a great man of faith. In verses ten through twenty, you're saying, "What are you doing, guy? I mean, what, what's going on here?" Abraham, just like us, is cultivating a life of faith. And that takes time and that takes practice. It's learning to trust God in the everyday situations of life. And sometimes we fail. Sometimes we blow it. Sometimes we have momentary unbelief. Okay? Momentary unbelief. That's what I would call that. Momentary lapses of unbelief. In other words, when we're tempted with a sin, we sometimes we don't trust God as we ought to. And that has bad consequences for our life. For Abraham, what happened was he wasn't confident that God would protect him. He wasn't confident that God would keep his promise. He's unbelieving to some degree. And so he devises this plan. And the plan involves a half-truth. Now, here's where the half-truth comes in. Is Sarah his sister? Yeah, actually she is. If we go to Genesis chapter 20... What verse is that? I think it's um, verse 12, maybe. Um, yeah, he, he says, Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Sarah is actually Abraham's half-sister. Yeah, she's, you know, sad. They have the same dad, not the same mom. Uh, this is common back in these days. And so he trying to kind of tries to justify this by, by saying, well, see, she is really my sister. Okay, but what, what's really going on there? Anytime you tell a half-truth, wouldn't it be better to call them half-lies than half-truths? You know, a lot of times we like half-truth, try to spin it the right way. Well, really, what is it? It's a half-lie. I mean, what's his intent? His intent is, I don't want these guys to know she's my wife. Okay? So what's he doing? He, he's lying. He's lying. Yeah, you can try to justify it and say, well, she really is my sister. But, but the, the implication is Abraham wants them to believe that she is not his wife to protect his own skin. Okay? That's, that's the plan he devises to try to get out of this fearful thing that he expects instead of just trusting God, instead of coming to God, instead of seeking God, and instead of asking God, God, what do you want me to do? Let me follow you. I'm just going to trust you. You made these promises. I'm going to believe. I'm going to step out in faith. Instead of doing that, he makes up this plan where he's going to lie to everybody. In order to save his own skin. Well, how's that work for him? Well, what he was thinking would happen, I imagine, was if he's the brother and not the husband, well, then the brother, as we read in another place in the Old Testament, Isaac and, and, and Rebekah and some other situations where we see kind of marriage things happening, if, if there's no father, the brother has the rights of giving away the bride. You know, I mean, it's up to him and he gets, you know, to control the situation. The, the person's got to come to him and say, you know, can I have this woman's hand in marriage? So Abraham's thinking, man, it's a foolproof plan. If I'm the brother, you know, then whoever comes to me, you know, then I can either say, no, you know, it's, it's not going to work right now. Or we're going to wait a year. She's betrothed to somebody else or whatever he was thinking. But he he'd be controlling the shots. Oh, except if it's the Pharaoh. Here's where this thing really blows apart, okay? When Abraham enters Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, that he thought that would happen, and it did happen. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Okay, if it's Pharaoh, there's really not much negotiating that's going to go on, right? I mean, Pharaoh is, to, to the Egyptian people we know, he's like a god, okay? Whatever he says, it is, okay? And so, so Pharaoh sees her. He takes her, puts her in, in the royal harem, probably waiting for a future wedding someday. This is really bad. Okay, Abraham tries to manipulate this thing and tries to work things out on his own. And it turns out disastrous. Okay, Disastrous for his family. Disastrous for the plan of God. All right, here, here we have God's promised Abraham that he's going to have a son. Okay, And that that son is going to have a son that, that through, through their family line is going to come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. 
And that's all supposed to come through Sarah. And now we're Sarah. She's in an Egyptian harem. Okay. That's really bad. Are, are you seeing that? That that's bad? Are, are you, is, that, is that coming through? You're all just blank faced at me. That's really bad. Okay. I mean, this is disastrous. I mean, I've done dumb things in my marriage, but nothing like this. I mean, this is incredibly bad. Okay. One of the, one of the promises, remember last week we talked about that God makes to Abraham. He says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Remember we talked about how, how cool that promise is. I want that in my life. I want to be a blessing to other people, you know? I want in my dealings with other people and my relationships, man, I, I want that. I want to be a blessing to people. I think everybody wants that. But you know what happens here? When Abraham takes things into his own hands, man, he, he messes everything. He hurts his wife. He hurts his family. He hurts the Egyptians, okay? Because God's, God's not going to let this happen. God, not like Abraham, is always faithful, and God's made these promises. He's not going to let Sarah be, be, be brought into this, this, this Egyptian's home forever. And so God, God brings plagues upon the Egyptians. Uh, everybody gets sick. There's this horrible thing that happens. Somehow they figure out, they connect the dots that, hey, this is when we brought this woman in here, that all this happened. They figure out that, hey, that's not really his, his, his sister. That's his wife. Abraham, Abraham just botches it up for everybody. Because he was not a man of faith. You know, here's the thing. We don't hit a home run every time. I understand that. Um, we, we, don't, uh, we, don't, we don't always act in, in, in ways that, that we're trusting God. But here's the reality. Whenever we don't, we make a mess. Amen? Sometimes bigger messes than others. But we make a mess. There's painful consequences. I mean, can you imagine the strain? I mean, I know he gets her back. Okay, can you imagine the strain on your marriage, you know, when when you've done this? I mean, I mean, when we were in college, I, I, I made this dumb comment. I've told you about it before. I made this dumb comment about about how the Emma had made this birthday cake for our college friends. And we were all together in our ministry group. And I just made this dumb comment out loud about the cake being a little dry. And it was a stupid thing to say, you know, and, and I, I, you know, I just didn't think about that. That was kind of rude. And man, I mean, it took me years to live that down. All right. I mean, just just a comment about a cake. Can you imagine, you know, you gave away your wife to an Egyptian. How are you going to live that dude down, huh? I mean, there's going to be some major, you know, problems with that. Can you imagine the loss of respect among the servants in this household? I mean, this story is retold over and over and over again for the rest of Abraham's life. You know, some people speculate that Hagar was picked up in Egypt at this time. The, you know, the, the Pharaoh gave Abraham, it says, sheep and oxygen, male, uh, male donkeys and male servants and female servants and, and, and camels. He gave him all this stuff. Some people think Hagar was part of that. Remember the disastrous things that come about through Hagar being in their, in their family, in their household. I mean, all kinds of painful consequences come about when we don't trust God, but we try to work things out ourselves. Abraham acts in a way that assumes that God won't or isn't going to handle the situation. He takes takes the situation into his own hands. And he does what I think we do a lot of times. We justify our unbelief by difficult circumstances. You ever do that? You ever have a reason why you don't do what God wants you to do? Well, we, we almost always do, right? You know, when, when, whenever, whenever you sin, that's unbelief. And almost always there's, there's this justification of why it's okay to be unbelieving. Why it's okay 
to assume that God's not going to handle this. Why it's okay to, to compromise our integrity or to speak harshly to our brother or to neglect our responsibility to serve or to hold back on our giving. Or, I mean, we do that, don't we? We do just what Abraham did. We, we, we know that we should be living a certain way. But we say, well, but there's a famine in the land, and but we're going to Egypt, and but you're a beautiful woman, and but if they know you're my wife, I'm liable to get killed. And so I've got to lie. So I've got to compromise my integrity. So I've got to not, not follow God in this particular thing. You ever do that? Why aren't you in a small group? Well, it's because of this in my life. Why, why, don't, why don't you serve the Lord in any way? Well, it's, it's because of this situation. Well... You know, man, why are you so harsh with your spouse? Well, it's, it's, it's because of this. You see, there, there's, there's this reason, right? I mean, we almost always have a justification. And, and a lot of times it's, it's difficult circumstances. A lot of times it's just what Abraham faces here. It's some kind of hard thing in your life. And you're like, because I've got this hard thing in my life, that's why I don't do that. That's why I, I don't follow God. That's why I don't obey God. For Abraham, it was, well, hey, you know what? This is how I've got to keep myself safe and save my life and protect my family. Which are all good things, but... Abraham should have sought the Lord for those things instead of taking matters into his own hands. All right, here's the cool thing, though. Abraham, even though he has this lapse of faith, you know what? When you read your Bible, Galatians, Hebrews, Romans, what does it say about Abraham? It says he's a man of faith. Isn't that cool? Let me tell you a cool thing about God, okay? When, when Jesus dies for us on the cross and wipes away our sins, they're really gone. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Isn't that great? And, and you know how, here's our tendency. You know what man's tendency is? Man's tendency is, you know, if someone does the right thing nine times and blows it once, what do we do? We kind of characterize them for the, for the mess up, don't we? It's just really cool to me that God isn't that way. And I think it's just because God knows we're all messed up, you know? I mean, if he was going to characterize us for our mess ups, then, you know, I mean, he sees us for who we really are. We don't have a, we, we, we need his grace. I mean, it's only by him that, that, that we're able to do any good thing. But, but God is so gracious with, with Abraham. There's, there's no, oh man, you're, you're a mess up. You're out. I'm going to pick somebody else. I mean, God just comes in. God saves the day, first of all. Do you see that? Man, God afflicts Pharaoh with, in his house with great plagues. They, they figure out it's Sarah. Pharaoh gives her back. <laughs> I, lo- I love how this ends. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. They sent him away with his wife and all they had. You know, get out of here. You know, here's your wife. Go, you know. There's lots, lots of interesting implications even for that, isn't there? You know, I mean, I mean. Oh, never mind. Oh, that's, that's a rabbit trail. Don't have time. Um, even with momentary lapse of faith, God is still gracious and faithful to Abraham. All right. Story gets even more interesting. We don't have much time, but let, let, me, let me share a couple things with you. We go to Genesis chapter 20. All right. Lots of things happen with Abraham's life. He, he does some great things with Lot. He defeats some kings. God renews the promises to him. Uh, he continues to kind of do some slip-ups. But in, in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham is going on another journey. He's in another foreign land. Okay. This time it's, it's a king called Abimelech. All right. And it says, From there Abraham journeyed toward the, the territory of the Negev. Uh, and lived between Kedesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have. Man, God takes care of us, doesn't he? I love that, you know. He appears in a dream. Man, you're a dead man. You know, you better get this gal out of your house or, or I'm coming after you. 
God is awesome. I love that. You're a dead man. Because of the woman whom you've taken for her, she's, she's a, a man's wife. Now, Abimelech had not approached her. Man, look how God protects everybody, okay? So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent man? Anyway, he gives her back. Okay, but, but here's the thing. He does it again, you know? I mean, it, it's years later. It's a decade later. He, he does it again. And, you know, some scholars, some scholars, when I was in, in Bible college, some scholars are like, you know what? That must be the same story. And, you know, some, some editors got it wrong. And one reported it this way. Another reported Because it, it's impossible that the same man would make the same mistake twice. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You got, you got, I mean, what, what Christian can identify with having certain areas in their life that you blow it repetitively, okay? I'm not talking about twice, maybe more than twice, right? Uh, I, I mean, you know what the Bible calls those? Besetting sins, or that's what we call them theologically, besetting sins, sins that we're prone to, sins that, that seem to have this gravitational pull on us, Okay. Whether it's telling half-truths like Abraham, or whether it's lingering too long in an appropriate movie or inappropriate picture. Whether it's holding the grudge against someone, against your spouse to punish him. Whether it's speaking disparagingly of somebody else without good reason to do so. Whether it's neglecting prayer or Bible study or worship. But we all have these things in our life that we struggle with, Right? And we're trying to follow God and we're trying to trust God and we're trying to be obedient. But there, there's certain areas, and, and it's different for everybody, certain areas that keep, keep knocking us around, causing painful consequences in our life. Okay? Now, because we're believers, here's what's going to happen. We're going to repent. When we blow it, we're going to repent. We're, we're, God's going to discipline us. He's going to bring painful things into our life to bring us back to Him. We're going to seek Him. We're going we're, we're to eventually, here's what I believe, eventually get victory. I believe that. I believe God is, is, is moving in people's lives to bring about victory. And as you follow God, God's going to weed those things out of your life. Okay? But listen, we can all identify with having certain areas in our, of our life where, where we stumble continually. And, and, and we need, man, praise God... For the sting and the pain of consequences of sin to teach us to trust Him, okay? In many ways, we need God taking us on these journeys of faith and putting these hard things in our life so that we don't continue to blow it, so that we learn to trust Him, okay? Now, the story gets even stranger, okay? Uh, I'm just going to lump all these together because we're we're not going to deal with them individually. In Genesis chapter 26, all right, God, God, God is faithful, amen? God is faithful, amen? He gives Abraham a son. We're going to be looking at that later on. It's Isaac. It's when Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah is 90. They had to wait 24 years. What's God doing in those 24 years? He's building this faith, okay? So God gives him a son, Isaac. Isaac grows up. Isaac marries this, this, this uh, great gal uh, named uh, Rebecca, a uh, beautiful gal from, from back in, in Abraham's family. And they're journeying. Why? Because... God's promises, remember, don't, don't settle down. You're going to have this land. I'm going to give it to you. You just keep going. So they're journeying. There's a famine in the land. Happened a lot back in those days. Look at verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, what do you think he said? What do you think? Just guess. Come on. Just guess. Just, just what, what, what do you think? Can you guess? She's my sister. Coincidence? Again, some scholars are like, well, that, that must be, editors got it mixed up. Hey, how many times have you seen in your life that when you blow it continually in a certain area, what, what, do, you, what do you often create for your family? It's true, isn't it? Certain things are passed down generation to generation, especially with dad. 
How dad, how dad treats faith, how dad treats spiritual things, how dad treats prayer, how dad treats worship and small group and spiritual relationships and giving. Man, let us not think that those things aren't passed down. Some of you are going to say, well, you know what? Isaac wasn't even alive. He wasn't even born yet when this stuff happened. It doesn't matter. You don't think those stories were retold? In Genesis 13, it tells us that Abraham had 318 men in his household. Servants, guys tending the flocks, hired hands, all this stuff. So this is, this is a big group of people, okay, that two times make this huge move to these foreign countries to avoid famine. And, and they see Abraham blow it. Everybody knows, okay, these are stories. Isaac would have known those things. Hey, you know what? When things got tough for dad, what did he do? Well, he, he lied. And it worked because obviously mom wasn't dead. So in the split second of, hey, who's that woman? Uh, that, that, that's my sister. Man, this is, a, this is a disturbing thing for me. I got five kids. And it's a disturbing thought to think that, that my besetting sins, the parts of my life that I struggle to obey God in, to believe God, could could reproduce himself in the next generation. You know what? If we can continue to struggle with our temper, continually struggle with our temper, we act in unbelief time after time, blow up at people when we get mad. We don't bring our things to, to the Lord, but instead we, we get angry. You don't think that our kids are seeing a pattern there that they're going to they're gonna relive over and over in their lives? Maybe you're an obsessive worrier. Yeah? Got any worriers out there? You know that's sin, don't you? Why? Because it's not trusting God, right? You fret, you stew, you got a habit of falling apart in a crisis instead of bringing the crisis to God in prayer. What, what's going to happen when your kids have a crisis? Maybe, maybe the DNA of your family is you guys use cutting humor. And that was, that was my family growing up. Three, three brothers, a really tough mom. <laughs> I mean, that, we, just, we just have this DNA in our family of critical speech, sarcastic speech, you know, just kind of cutting people down. Unless, unless the grace of God intervenes, what's going to happen? You're going to hear that same speech come out of your kids' lives to your grandkids. Isn't that right? Unless the grace of God. Hey, God changes people. God changed me. God, God changes people. But, but here's, here's the thing we see there. Our sin affects people. When we don't trust God, that affects people. It affected his wife. It affected their situation. It put the, the messianic line in jeopardy. It was passed down to the next generation. It affected Isaac. Was Abraham still a man of faith? Yes. Amen? Yes. Okay? When we blow it and we repent, are we still people of faith? Yes. But oh, folks, those, those, those momentary lapses of unbelief have consequences in our life. It's so much better to trust God, isn't it? So much better to say, you know what? God is faithful. I can, I can turn this over to Him. We can trust His Word. We can trust His plan. We can trust His truth. And follow Him. Bring your fears to Him. Your anxieties, your struggles. And trust Him to take care of it. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank You for... Uh, the example of Abraham. God, I thank you for giving us 
uh, just such a clear picture of, of things that we deal with every day. Uh, God, we, we struggle with our fears. God, we struggle with anxieties, being, being afraid of how things are going to work out, uh, how it's going to work out in our business, how it's going to work out in our, our family and our finances and our relationships. And God, so many times we're, we're tempted not to trust you. Uh, we're tempted to, to obsess and worry and make up plans that, that compromise our integrity. And Father, I just pray that you would teach us to trust you. Teach us that you won't let us down. That if we follow you and we seek you and we pursue you, that, that you will be faithful to provide everything we need. God, you didn't let Abraham down. Time and time again, God, you were faithful. And God, we know you won't let us down. Father, we can, we can trust you. Lord, I pray you draw people to yourself today. In Jesus' name, amen.